Hey friends, it's good to be with you all. Today is called Transfiguration Sunday. It's the last Sunday in a church season called Epiphany. And it marks a day where churches worldwide recall the time that Jesus was on a mountain with Peter, James, and John and was transfigured or his glory was revealed to the disciples in a mystical kind of experience. Like I said, this is the last Sunday in Epiphany, and, and in this season for our church, we've, the ones of us who have been bringing the Sermon of the Homily each week, have been exploring personal epiphanies that we have come to in the last year, or revelations that we've had. And I'll be honest, I had to think a while which one to choose. I've had probably more than one epiphany in the last year or two. And I thought, should I talk about new understandings of my own family system, new ways of seeing God at work in the world, or a growing commitment to undo the damage of purity culture in my own heart and not to pass along all that baggage to our kids? I thought, should I talk about growing as a parent and realizing that I've got more work to do than I realize? Should I discuss my expanding sensitivity to neurodiversity, not only in my own family, and in the family of God, but in our seminary that I work at, and how might that understanding shape my identity as a husband, a father, a pastor, and a seminary administrator? Now, each of these things is worthy of reflection in the form of a homily and much more, but the place that I feel called to reflect in this message today is that in the last year or two, I have come to realize how exhausting and utterly soul-sucking it is to constantly sit on the fence with some things. In the passage that was displayed in the slideshow from Mark and uh, from Matthew also, Jesus and the disciples have a mystical kind of experience on a mountainside but the verses just before that uh, read in Matthew chapter 16, at the very end of that chapter, and this is from the Inclusive Bible, Jesus says to the disciples, if you wish to come after me, you must deny your very selves, take up the instrument of your own death, and begin to follow in my footsteps. If you would save your life, you will lose it. But if you would lose your life for my sake, you will find it. What profit would you show if you gained the whole world but lost yourself? What can be offered in exchange for your very self? The promised one will come in the glory of Abba God, accompanied by the angels, and will repay all according to their conduct. The truth is, some of you standing here will not taste death before you see the coming of the promised one's reign. These are the very verses before Matthew 17, 1 through 9. And Jesus tells his disciples, uh, and it reads differently in other translations. You might be familiar with the term to count the cost in following me. Now, at the risk of sounding like a conservative evangelical, to follow God and to follow Jesus often involves making a choice counting the cost, and when faced with the reality of who God is and all that God has done, we are called to live and to embody boldly the teachings of Jesus and to proclaim 
them to all the world. I used to <clears throat> pride myself on being a moderate. Many of the churches I served were purple congregations. I don't know if you've ever heard that term. Those are churches that are full of people who are in the red camp and people who are in the blue camp. So you have a purple congregation. And being in churches and pastoring those churches that had people that leaned both left and right, I struggled to preach every week with a clear conscience and to keep, quote, both sides happy. And my view on all of that began to just shift a little the first time I ever read Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail. Here's what he says in part of the letter toward the end of it. I must make two honest confessions to you, my Christian and Jewish brothers. First, I must confess that over the last few years, I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in the stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you, the goal that you seek, but I can't agree with your methods of direct action, who paternalistically feels that he can set the timetable for another one's freedom, or who lives by the myth of time who constantly advises the Negro to wait until a, quote, more convenient season. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. Oof. Every time I read those words, it still uh, speaks to me very strongly. I once at a conference had the opportunity to speak with Brian McLaren, who some of you may have heard of or read his books. And at this particular conversation and in the pastoral experience I was having, I expressed how difficult it was to serve in a purple congregation and how difficult it was to be a pastor in a church that uh, was very stuck in one spot. And I personally was growing in my own understanding, growing in my own conviction. And I kind of prided myself on the so-called unity in that church. And McLaren's advice to me was wise. And it took me too long in my life to heed. He said, pastoring with a divided heart must be so exhausting. Are you sure that's sustainable? That's all he said to me. And those words, that short two sentences, kind of made me think and go, huh. And for a while, I was prideful and thought, you know, what does Brian McLaren know about me and pastoring and <clears throat> silly me? This next week marks the beginning of Lent. And Wednesday is called Ash Wednesday. It's a day when Christians traditionally commit to fasting from something until Easter as a way to focus more on God. What if this year we didn't fast from chocolate or soft drinks, but from indecisiveness? 
If there is something in your life that you've been on the fence about, how's that working for you? I have found and I have in my own life experienced that sitting on a fence for too long can leave you with a mighty sore backside. When Jesus's glory was revealed on the mountain to Peter and James and John, Peter says in the passage, it is so good to be here. Can we just stay here like indefinitely? But Jesus's followers are never called to stay on the mountaintop. We're never called to live in a place of indefinite indecision when it comes to standing up for injustice in the world and following God and Jesus boldly. We're actually called to count up the cost of what does it really mean to follow God. And so in the time that is ahead for you at these watch party services and in the home that you're gathered in today is a time for discussion. Your facilitator, your host, has questions that you all will have some conversation about. What does it mean in my life to have indecision? And where are the places that maybe I've been sitting on the fence that I need to get more decisive about? So I hope that those discussions and conversations, in fact, I don't even hope, I know that they're going to be fruitful and fulfilling And I pray that you have a blessed week ahead. God bless.